0: Heavenly Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you for the idea of spiritual gifts and how all of us in this room, all of the churches around the world are beautifully designed to be the hands, the feet, the mouthpiece of Jesus to everybody we interact with. May you be glorified in everything we say, in everything we do, and in everything we think. And God, I pray that my words would fall down so that your words would be lifted up. And as we talk specifically about unity, that you would be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're watching online, grab a phone or a tablet. You can certainly download the app that's on the screen behind me. If you're in person, you want to have a physical copy. There should be Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. If you're brand new to church, Bible can be a little bit confusing. Thankfully, there's a table of contents. The Old Testament is everything that happens before Jesus. The New Testament starts with what's called the Gospels, four stories of the life and death and ultimate resurrection of Jesus. So, two weeks ago, we celebrated that life, death, and resurrection. And then during that time, after Jesus rose up from the grave, he talks to his disciples, he talks to his closest followers, and he says, don't worry, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to send you a gift. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, his power will overwhelm you. You will be gifted in the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses, my ambassadors, my good news in Jerusalem, Judea, and around the world. Last week, David did a marvelous job setting us up with a series on spiritual gifts. And he talked about the difference between spiritual gifts and natural talents. He talks about the opportunity that we have together to discover our gifts. And everybody who's a follower of Jesus has received a special spiritual gift. And what does that look like? And how does it exist to build up the community of God? Today we're going to look a little bit deeper at this whole idea of building one another up. The spiritual gifts don't exist so you can show off and say, wow, I have the spiritual gift of prophecy and see what I can do. Oh, I have the spiritual gift of healing. Oh, I can teach really well. The spiritual gifts are there to build the body up. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks Slaves are free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. I might miss some subtleties occasionally when I'm studying, but I think if the word body is mentioned four times in two verses and another 15 times over the rest of this passage, that maybe there's something there. So for those of you who enjoy taking notes, we're going to be talking about the body of Christ In the same way that our body is made up of many parts, so the body of Christ, the church, is made up of many people. Everybody who believes in Jesus is part of the body of Christ. And just as our bodies are beautifully designed to work together, the body of Christ, the church, is beautifully designed to work together. What makes the body of Christ so beautiful is how we're unified in our diversity. Think about the church for a moment. Where else do you see people who are men and women, young and old, Rich and poor, liberals and conservatives, black and white and yellow and red and all the colors gather together to worship. Lots of different people attend school, but we're not all the same age. Lots of people would love to go to Oilers games, but simply can't afford it. Lots of people would like to be invited to that party, but never received an invite. The body of Christ is so unique that the doors are thrown wide open. What brings all of us together is the desire to learn more about Jesus and how he impacts our lives. Whether we're already followers of Jesus or learning more about Jesus, we come here because we believe there's something different. We believe the Bible speaks to us today thousands of years after it was initially written. But are we united? Do we believe that this Bible is calling all of us to do something? Here as a church at Ellerslie, we have a mission statement. We believe that we are here to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. And it's one thing to kind of intellectually believe that. I have a mind, I understand that, I grasp how that takes place, but does it impact our heart? Do we go out into the foyer and love everybody we interact with? Do we love our neighbors? Do we love our coworkers? Do we love the people that we go to school with? Will we continue to stand in unity together? Because God has wired all of us differently. Yes, we all have unique spiritual gifts, but we all have unique passions. We all have unique uh, abilities. We all have unique personalities. We all have unique experiences and backgrounds. Even if we grew up in Canada, we all grew up in different families and different neighborhoods. And if you look around this auditorium, we see so many people from so many nations coming together. And the one thing that unifies us is this beautiful love in who Jesus is. We're united in our diversity to go and make disciples. I love to study, I love to write sermons, I love presenting them on Sunday morning. When I was interviewed a little more than a year ago, they said, Dave, what is your least favorite part of your job? And I said, oh, I don't even have to think about it. Writing and editing policies, whose idea was that? Pastor Russ loves it, and God bless Pastor Russ. Because God is using all of us together. On Sunday mornings, I have the wonderful privilege of standing up and encouraging you with the good news of the gospel. Because of Russ's love for policies, we know that we have our kids safe with layers of protection, learning about the good news of Jesus in a wonderful environment. If we take another look at verse 13, we see how amazing this body is. There is one spirit we were baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. In a world fascinated with inclusivity, God is saying, my arms are thrown wide open. All you need to do is come and believe in me. I don't care about your ethnicity. I don't care about your background. I don't care about your socioeconomic status. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've done. Believe in me, and your sins are forgiven. This phrase, baptize into one body, is referring to the cleansing and empowering work of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit does when someone converts to Christianity. And it's kind of this passive idea. Yes, you choose, along with Jesus, to come to faith in him. But when you're baptized, it's a rather passive event. We've had the wonderful privilege over the last two Sundays to see more than a dozen people get baptized. And when they get baptized, they go down into the water... The water floods over them, washes over them, and they come back up. It's a passive experience. When we become followers of Jesus, immediately the Holy Spirit baptizes us in his presence. But then look at the second part of that. It talks about an active active action that is taking place. We choose to grab a glass. We choose to fill it with water. We choose to drink of it. And so yes, we're invited into this beautiful body of Christ, but we have to make a conscious action, a conscious effort to say, I believe so much in the body of Christ that I'm going to fight for the unity that's taking place in this body of Christ. Will you pursue that type of unity? Will you pray for our church, serve the church, give to the church? When you see a problem, will you act willingly and lovingly to help see that problem come to a resolution? Will you be involved in making disciples inside the church, inside your home, and inside the community in which you live? When you see someone hurting, will you build them back up? See, the Corinthians allowed the diversity to eat away at them, and it was just a cancer inside their body. If only people had as much money as me and not the poor people. If only people had the gift I had and not those lame other gifts. And the apostle Paul is coming after them and he's saying, the diversity is good, but only when it's in unity. Picking up in verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less, any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. One of the things I love about the Bible, especially when we get to the epistles, is you can read this and at first glance it makes total sense. And then when you peel back the layers, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Verse 19 gives us this beautiful summary of the whole passage. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As great as the eye is, as wonderful as it is to see something, you would miss out on the beautiful music. If all you had was one big ear, you would hear conversations and be engaged in different ways, but you would miss the beautiful smell of the roses and the fresh rain that we had this past week. The church family misses out when one gift is elevated above the other. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says, don't you get it? You rich Christians, you can't look down on lower Christians. You Christians who have certain specific gifts, you can't look down on those who don't have the same type of gifts as you. Let's say we pooled all of our resources together and we brought in a top-notch speaker And this speaker is amazing, and the speaker is well-known, and the speaker is well-loved. And the speaker comes in, and you think, oh, man, this person can actually make me laugh. Unlike Dave's lame stories, this guy is funny. And this guy has wisdom and knowledge and depth of understanding that is just rich, and I can't take enough notes. And this guy has experiences that transform our lives. But you have no tech team. So who cares how good the guy is? For those of you watching online, you wouldn't be able to see anything. And there's no lights, there's no mic, there's no screens behind me. And maybe you walk into the auditorium and you go, oh, this is really great, but there's no first impressions team. And you think, is this, is this church loving? Do they care that I'm walking in? Do they know how difficult it is to find the bathrooms in this place? What if we had no kids ministry? And as much as we love kids, we think, oh man, they're a little bit distracting right now. I really want to hear what that guy has to say. Or you have nobody who's a custodian and you go to the washroom and there's no toilet paper or soap. Everybody works together in unity in all of our diverse gifts. Did you know that every Sunday morning here at Ellerslie takes about 75 people to pull off a service? That's a lot. That's bigger than the last church I pastored at. There's people who have gifts that are serving in the teaching ministry, in kids ministry, in starlight ministry, in tech ministry, first impressions, worship, and so much more. I'm very grateful when people come up to me after the service and say, hey, Pastor, good message. Do you thank the person who's always smiling at you at the doors? Do you thank the person who's teaching your kids at kids' church? Do you thank our techs who are working hard and are here from 7.45 to about 12.30 every Sunday morning? We work together unified in our diversity. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, but Dave, I don't really know what my role is. I don't know where I belong. And this is where there's a beauty of pulling back the onion and seeing the next layer in the scriptures. In our North American ears, we look at that whole idea of foot and ear and eye and mouth, and we go, yeah, that makes total sense. But it's a whole lot different to Middle Easterners. The word foot and shoe would be, basically be considered a four-letter swear word. Think about even the scriptures itself. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is walking around. He sees a burning bush. He walks up to the bush, and you remember what God says to him? Take off your shoes, Moses, or you're standing is holy ground. The beginning of the Gospels, do you remember what John says about Jesus? I am not worthy to untie his sandals. The Last Supper, do you remember what Jesus does? Takes off his cloak, bends down, and washes the feet of the disciples. And Peter is appalled. That's not just 2,000 year old stuff. That's happening today. In 2003, the statue of Saddam Hussein was pulled to the ground and people took off their shoes and started beating it. In 2011, Egyptians gathered together in Cairo and lifted up their shoes saying, get rid of this president. He is a terrible and awful man. In Arab nations, still to this day, when you enter a mosque, you are expected to take off your shoes before you worship. What does Paul say in verse 15? You're still part of the body. Can you imagine the good news that is for a slave? Can you imagine working for a master and it's your job to take off the shoes, to take off the sandals, and wash the dirty, disgusting feet of others? And you hear this good news from Paul and you think to yourself, there's a place in God's kingdom for me? A slave gifted by God to do good works? But it's way better than that. Verse 18, as it is, God has arranged the members in each body, each one of them as He chose. And so, what Paul is saying here is revolutionary. The world might judge you as worthless, but Jesus Christ, upon belief in Him, is saying, Here is my Holy Spirit. I am going to gift you to do great things for the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is unified in the diversity and everybody receives a gift. Doesn't that make you want to serve? Doesn't that make you say, God, what's my gift? How can I be involved? How can I see the good news of Jesus spread around our church, our community, and around the world? We plan out our sermon series well in advance. We're actually planned to next Easter. And when we were talking about the sermon series and what goes what and what goes where, we thought, well, where do spiritual gifts go? Is that something that we want to do in September or the fall? And as a team, we decided, no, no, no. The spring is the perfect time to look at spiritual gifts. It's a time for you to check out what your spiritual gift is. A week from today, we are committed to having a spiritual gift inventory up on our website. It's not going to be short. It'll probably take you 20 minutes to do. it be like 140 questions or so. But to take that gift and go, God, where have you gifted me? We're also teaching a class. I believe it starts May 18th where you can get together with Pastor Russ, Pastor Joel, Pastor David, and to learn about what is my place in the kingdom of God. Where have you gifted me? And the timing, we believe, is actually perfect because over the next three to four months, we can say, hey, why don't you try doing something in the church? Why don't you shadow somebody on tech or in kids ministry or first impressions? Where can you use your gift for the glory of God? It's a beautiful design. And we're unified in our diversity. Leads us to the third point. For the body of Christ to operate effectively, we need to be unified. Picking up in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Last Sunday afternoon, our church hosted a bridal shower for Kelsey. If you don't know who Kelsey is, she's the pastor of children's ministry here at the church. And she's wonderful and she's amazing. But as great as she is, she can't walk into the gym and go bippity-poppity-boo and just have everything perfectly laid out. She needs to rely on her team. She, ne- uh, she leads the biggest team in our church and kids ministry. But she also recognizes that everybody has a role. Everybody has value. Everybody has something to offer. And for her bridal shower to happen, we needed to see some of these gifts come together. Somebody with the gift of administration needed to say, okay, I'm going to take care of all the invitations. Somebody with the gift of hospitality had to say, I'm going to make this room beautiful. Somebody else with another gift of hospitality said, I'm going to take over all this food. Somebody with the gift of teaching had to say, I'm going to be the one who gives the devotional and bless Kelsey and everybody else in this room. We're unified in our diversity. One commentator in phrasing, uh, paraphrasing verse 21 says this, the deepest problem is not, I am better than you, but rather, I don't need you. Have you ever been in a classroom, maybe you've been in a small group at somebody's house and you're thinking, the teaching's really good, but the room is boring, I wasn't offered a cup of coffee, there's incredible value in the gift of hospitality. Have you ever been sitting in a room and thinking, you know, something seems a little bit off about this teaching. It's the gift of discernment and the ability to say, you know what, I don't know what's right maybe we can help the speaker or the teacher a little bit more. We need gifts of evangelists who go out and to share the good news of Jesus and teach others of us how to do the same. We need people with gifts of administration to oversee all the policies and how, come, how things come together. We need people who have the gift of leadership who can lead boards and ministries and churches and parent-teacher associations. We need people with the gift of mercy who can go out and help at Hope Mission and other places. We need people with the gifts of giving who say, you I heard someone's in need here, have in my abundance. We need people who speak difficult words of truth. We need people who are passionate about bringing new ministry and new ideas into realization all of us working together beautifully unified in our diversity now in discovering your gifts maybe i'm talking about too much what's happening inside the church and maybe you think dave i have gifts but i'm not sure if they actually work inside the building maybe they do maybe they don't maybe you have a passion for justice And to go to the mustard seed, to go to Hope Mission, to go to the pregnancy care center and say, I am going to bless the socks off these people. I'm going to have conversations with them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to help do things to make their lives that much easier. Maybe you have the gift of leadership. And you look around Ellerslie and you think, oh man, things are going really well. Maybe I could help be a leader in the sports league that my kids play in. Maybe I could serve at my local school and really be a blessing there. Maybe you have the gift of compassion, and you come up to one of the members of our staff team and say, hey, are there people who are unable to be present in the building because of health matters? I'd like to go visit them. I want to talk to them on the phone. The purpose of these gifts, the reason God gives them so generously to each and every one of us is to build up the body of Christ. The gifts are not an end in themselves. The Apostle Paul's point here is saying, do you see the unity in our diversity? Do you see the calling and the mission that God has given us and the way to use that well? One last idea before I wrap up this section. When we talk about spiritual gifts and this idea of unity and diversity, sometimes we run into um, what one pastor calls a gift tension. And You might think to yourselves, man, I am so passionate about justice and I'm so passionate about serving the people who live on the street. Why doesn't other people think the same way I do? That's a gift tension and that's okay, but you're not calling us everybody to act the same way you are. You're calling people to raise the bar. Why don't you become a little bit more compassionate? Why don't you come with me just one time this year and see what it's like? Maybe you have the gift of uh, prayer and you love to pray and you pray for three hours a day and you look at somebody and ask them how much they pray and it's nowhere close to three hours and you might get a little discouraged Just say to them, hey, how can I help you pray a little bit more? We must be unified in our diversity. The gifts of the body built up to move the mission forward. If you have your Bibles in front of you, what's the next passage about? After chapter 12 comes to an end, What's 1 Corinthians 13? It's the love chapter, right? Many of us have probably heard it at weddings. Many of us have probably heard um, pastors at weddings give beautiful homilies on it. But it's placed here right in between two passages on spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul is saying, yeah, we're going to talk about gifts of apostleship and prophecy and intercession and leadership and everything else. But love wins the day. Before we dive into the use of spiritual gifts over the next few Sundays, I think this is a, a, a message that needs to be heard. We're here working together in unity. So how does Paul wrap up? He talks about the variety. Verse 27 and following, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? A number of years ago, I was dating a girl and things were starting to get serious. And so she said to me, Well, it's time for you to meet my mom and dad. And so uh, over Christmas, I met her mom and dad for the very first time. And four of us were in a room together, and girlfriend and mom slowly slide off to the kitchen, and I'm left alone with dad. I've already been a pastor for a number of years. I'm used to engaging with different people in ages and stages. And I'm not really nervous, but he did something that I wasn't expecting whatsoever. He looks at me and he says, I hear you're an Alliance pastor. And I said, yep. And he goes, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? What came out of my mouth was, yes, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. What went through my mind suggested maybe I wasn't as filled with the Spirit as I'd like to be. And then he did something I had never had someone do to me before. He points at my chest and he says, are you, do you speak in tongues? I didn't know how to respond to that. I had no idea how to respond to that. If you're brand new to church and you're like, I don't even know what the pastor's speaking about. Tongues is a gift that's given to people. Most often it's used in a personal prayer time, sometimes in worship. Sometimes missionaries have incredible stories of how they stand up before a group of people they've never met before and start speaking in a different language that they've never learned. But there's this tension that happens. Check out again verses 29 and 30, and we'll see this passage that comes out Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Is everyone a teacher? And Paul is asking this, expecting the answer to be no. So if not everyone is a prophet, if not everybody is a teacher, if not everybody is an apostle, is everyone expected to speak in tongues? It's pretty obvious what the answer is supposed to be. Not everyone speaks in tongues. Not everyone is given the gift of mercy. Not everyone is an apostle, apostle to my explanation of that is a spiritual entrepreneur, someone who starts new ministries, maybe become a church planter. Not everyone is called to teach. Paul isn't the only author who talks about this either. The apostle Paul says, you know what, we all, Peter, pardon me, we all have different gifts. In 4 verse 10, Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. How has God gifted you? We don't know how many spiritual gifts there are. Peter Wagner is one of the um, leading experts on spiritual gifts. He has a book. He names 28 of them. A man by the name of John Thompson. A couple of you have gone through his small group. Um, He lists 21 gifts. We don't know. And so rather than going through every single gift and having a 28-week sermon series, we're going to look at these gifts in three major categories. We're going to talk about word gifts. These are gifts that are spoken. People who are gifted by God to teach, to lead, to evangelize, to proclaim the good news of God. These are word gifts. second idea is this whole one of love gifts, where we deeply show the love of God. This is hospitality. It's justice. It's mercy. It's compassion. And then the one you're waiting for, how is Dave going to handle it? The power gifts. How do we talk about tongues and prophecy and healing And gifts of miracles. It's not important how many gifts there are. What is important, and I'm hoping that I sound like a broken record at this point, is that we're unified in our diversity. One final thought, and I'll wrap up. You'll notice at the end of verse 31, it says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. When we receive spiritual gifts, I believe they can change over time. The apostle Paul suggests they certainly can as well. And so maybe you have the gift of prayer and you love interceding for people. And people come to you and they say, hey, can you pray for me? This is what's going on in my life. And you love having that opportunity and that blessing. But as you pray more, you recognize, I think God might be giving me the gift of leadership. And I think that maybe it's not just praying for our church. I think God might be asking me to lead a whole prayer ministry for our church. Maybe you have the gift of mercy and compassion. Maybe you have the gift of evangelism. And maybe God is using you in powerful ways to shape people and to share the good news of Jesus with others. And the more you pray, the more you think, I wonder if God's calling me to become a church planter. I wonder if there's something that God is putting in my heart. And maybe I need to talk with uh, pastoral leadership or even district leadership and say, "I I think God might be asking me to really do something special a couple weeks ago we had easter sunday i can't imagine what that must have been like for the disciples 2000 years ago you've been following jesus you're convinced he's the messiah you're convinced he's the savior of the world and then he dies at the beginning of passover what do you think would have gone through your mind on saturday is it over is it done what's what's going on and then sunday comes and people say he's not in the grave anymore He's risen from the dead. And then more than 500 people have the privilege of seeing the resurrected Christ show up in their lives. And Jesus says, oh, I'm not abandoning you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not going to heaven and letting you try to figure it out down here all by yourselves. I'm going to send you the counselor. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The same spirit who is living within me is going to live in everybody who believes in Jesus Christ and confesses his name. As I mentioned already in this message, 50 days later, the time of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends on the followers of Jesus and he gifts them and they speak in tongues and they teach and they preach and they show mercy and they have gifts of administration and the people in the community are wowed. The Apostle Peter stands up at that time of Pentecost and he preaches a powerful sermon of all the Jews who are coming out of the temple because of Passover. And 3,000 of them say, I'm in and get baptized that day. Every one of you in this room, every one of you watching online, if you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave, he has given you a spiritual gift. How are you going to use it in the church? In the community around the world to see the good news and the mission of God move forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the spiritual gifts. Thank you for church unity. And may we as a church fight for unity. May we be so encouraging towards one another, so helpful of one another, so passionate and understanding where other people come from, that we would see the unity of Christ take place in this church, and that walking into our church doors would feel like we're walking home, that this is a place that offers hope and joy and encouragement, that we would see these gifts used around our community as well, that all of us would... Pursue that gift of hospitality, pursue gifts of invitation and uh, evangelism and seeing the good news of Jesus spread around the world. And God, we would see people come to faith because of the work that you are doing in us and through us. And we would tell our friends about what you're doing, that we would be unified in our diversity to see the glory of God move forward. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.